Japan What Podcast, coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo, the armpit of Asia. It's Toshihisacho, a part of Shinjuku nobody ever wants to go to, and therefore, for some reason, there's construction everywhere. Tokyo is getting a facelift everywhere you go these days. Not only is there giant buildings going up, the new modern ones. Oh, this is MatthewPMBigelow.com. It's also conveniently my website where you can get everything you need for this uh, podcast of yours. One of the few in uh, Japan and therefore the world that analyzes the current trends from AI, tech, um, war, uh, food, from the perspective of uh, news analysis. There is no manga. There is no anime. There are no little girls going hee, 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 hee. And a bunch of men trying to give them their money. All of those men have made their choice. Cheers, guys. But Tokyo is getting a facelift. Around my house, seven buildings going up right now. Walking around town... Like those giant buildings going up. You take a little dip, a little nip down a uh, side street there. Sorry about that word. Meant meant it differently. Um, And then buildings are coming down. Buildings are going up. Just outside my house a couple of days ago, uh, a building under construction blew up. Like a thousand people lost their power for a while. And uh, it's going on. So even uh, this studio, which I thought would be tucked away, far away from everything else, some giant building next door to me, Right now, I see the scaffolding going up. And you know what that means. Those are Japanese automatopoeia for construction noises. I've had to study them because I have a two-year-old son who loves trains, especially steam locomotives, and construction equipment. <laughs> so a lot of the books now floating around the house are filled with uh, automatopoeia. There's your Japanese, your Nihongo no lesson for today. Um, let's begin the podcast as we always do with a stupid product, a hate read, um, which generally comes to us from uh, japantoday.com or .co.jp via Sora News 24. Um, Let's just go in. New products. Mothra from Godzilla, the Mothra series, which might be tied into Mothra, might be one of those original stealth fighters from World War II that then got adapted into movies. Anyways, Mothra wants to dominate your home's interior as a gigantically awesome tissue cover. Oh, there it is. Sora News 24. I hate Sora News 24. Tokyo. A pretty good litmus test for how much thought... I'll read it the way it sounds in my head. A pretty good litmus test for how much thought and care you're putting into your home's interior design is whether or not you have a tissue case cover. Oh, really? No. If you've ever got just a box or a soft pack of Kleenex sitting on the living room table or arm of your sofa... It's hard to say you've really finished decorating. So if you're looking for an understatedly elegant tissue box cover to tie your chic, contemporary aesthetic, 
well, sorry, <laughs> we've got no ideas. On the other hand, if you're searching for something dynamic, instantly unforgettable, and if you're of a certain mindset, even kind of cute, then you need a gigantic Mothra tissue case. The queen of the kaiju skies appears in her larvae form, measuring 66 centimeters from wingtip to wingtip and 60 centimeters from nose to tail. Ah, ha, ha, ha. we mean 60 centimeters from proboscis to tail. Pardon us, Mothra. Okay, I'll stop. I'll put pictures of this up on the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com, um, because, of course, this is, this is not a, a, an exclusive to Japan today or to um, freaking Sora News 24. This is an advertisement. And I think people who are interested in uh, Japan often immediately, for some reason, go to movies and they say, Godzilla, ah, Godzilla, Godzilla, you are from Japan. Um, uh, but so you might be interested in this giant Mothra tissue case. It does look pretty sweet. I would recommend buying it. I don't know how much it is, but if you're interested, go check out MatthewPMBigelow.com. And uh, if you want to view the um, the hate read of the week, check out Sora News 24, where people just randomly say the most um, inane things, tying them together as if it's a thing, but it's not a thing. And uh, I read it. I read it every week. I hate read it every single week. All right, well, let's move on to the next. We're going to take a look. We're, we're still in balloon territory here. we got lots of things to do today. But um, as you know, the balloon has an, has an after effect, has the ripple effect. Um, in, in the wake of the balloon comes decisions um, as we are heading into war. And so let's take a look at balloons. Tim Hirschner of Cincinnati loves his Honda Civic wagon because he can fill it up with everything he needs to fill up his hot air balloon. And that's just indicative, indicative, <laughs> indicative of how uh, corporations have been working with, um, in the private sector uh, cross-nationally for decades now um, to create um, innovative balloon platforms based on the technologies available at the time. That's, that's how I view that. That advertisement. That guy from Cincinnati. What's his name? Tom Lichter? Tim Hirschner of Cincinnati. Tim Hirschner uh, collab, you know, buys something from Honda made in Japan, shipped to America, so that he can then perform his balloon activities back in the 70s. Um, this comes, you know, we had the giant balloons come across, one giant balloon go across the United States. For some reason, it wasn't shot down until it got into the oceans over uh, South Carolina off of the coast of South Carolina, and then two more balloons were shot down, um, and they turned out what are most likely to be weather balloons from universities or from high schools or even maybe a ham radio operator, like making a repeater station or something like that. Um, they sent up F-16s or whatever they were high into the skies and, and fired hundreds of thousand dollars of weaponry at stupid little balloons. I think because they have a reputation by now, like they, we, we took care of it. Anyways, this, I have a, we'll just go through these pretty quickly, but um, why let a good opportunity go to waste? 
Japan to clear way for self-defense forces to shoot down encroaching balloons. Um, and this comes to us from the Nikkei. Uh, we won't go too much into this article. It's just kind of a follow-up. The Japanese Ministry of Defense is considering how to relax requirements that must be met before the self-defense forces can use weapons to bring down foreign lofted balloons flying through to Japanese airspace. The ministry said on Wednesday, currently the SDF can only shoot down devices that violate Japanese airspace if it is acting in self-defense, the ministry said. Um, my solution for this, this issue is, like I've said before, just consider it a potential um, advanced uh, AI like um, with wireless systems requiring less and less energy and um, AI being beamed everywhere, um, algorithms or AI, uh, consider it um, a potential cyber um, recon by a foreign um, entity and that we need to assume that um, it could be probing for weaknesses in our cyber defenses, in infrastructure, in decaying infrastructure around, around, the, around the country. So you... That potentially, I'm just saying this would be the excuse to make it happen. Potentially, a country could put some scanners and they say, well, why don't you get the satellites? Well, a balloon can can get in there a little closer. Well, the satellites can zoom really close in on things. But what if you're not using images specifically? You're using um, heat mapping or you're using um, wireless signals and things like that. A lot of wireless signals these days get lost after a certain amount of time. What if a balloon equipped with some sensor equipment would be able to create um, weakness maps within our infrastructure and then um, apply that into a deep learning protocol to see where a potential cyber attack could take place? This is very far-fetched, but if the government or defense contractors worded it in this way, a lot of people would be like, it's good enough for me. Yeah, I don't know. What if they are using AI? I don't want them there using their AI on my house. And that's how you just got to phrase it. And then you can shoot them down all day long, put it up on Twitter, and we will watch. We will love watching it. That comes to us from the Nikkei. There's a few other um, ones as well that lead into this balloon not going to waste. Um, Japan and Taiwan should share intel on China balloon threat, says ex-defense chief. Um, and this comes to us from the Japan Times via Reuters. Uh, by the way, the Japan Times gets a lot of credit in the international journalism sphere for like news coming out of Japan. They have very few writers there. They might have some op-ed people, but just like most um, daily newspapers around the world, it's just full of um, repeated content from wires like uh, AP, Reuters, AFP. And then in Japan, they also have Kyodo that has an English version, um, NHK a little bit. They're a little bit more protective. But it's not like um, these, these daily newspapers are like authoritative sources. They're just repeater stations for the New World Order. The use of suspected Chinese surveillance balloons has shown that Japan and Taiwan need to share, quote, critical, end quote, intelligence about potential common aerial threats, a senior defense policymaker in the ruling Lib Liberal Democratic Party has said, the ruling mm, coalition of Japan. Um, we don't have those bilateral relations with Taiwan, so we don't cooperate on that. But Japan's government will have to consider what it does next, said Itsunori Onodera, a former defense minister and an influential lawmaker in the ruling party, in an interview. Some of Japan's islands are within 100 kilometers of Taiwan, so their aircraft and ships often operate in close proximity. Although Japan does not have official diplomatic relations with Taiwan, it worries that China would imperil Japanese national security if Beijing gained control over the self-governing island. 
One way Japan could share information with Taiwan could be through its close ally, the United States, added Onodera, who said he had visited Taiwan in January when he was briefed about threats posed to the island by China. And it goes on and on and on. So that's one way to maybe create some formal, informal relations between Japan and Taiwan. I'm all for it. Um, I like Taiwan being what Taiwan is. And we've seen Hong Kong maybe not change for the better. Um, Definitely changing for something, right? Somebody's interests are taking hold there. Hmm, I wonder who that could be. Hmm. Another one, ground self-defense forces and U.S. Marines start large-scale joint drills in southwest Japan. That's just um, an aside there. It's connected because of the military interests that are going on with these balloons. And then uh, in that area of the oceans, um, U.S. Marines and, and Japan self-defense forces are engaging in... Um, in, in there we go. And the last one is Chinese. I just I'm reading the next headline. I think you get it. I think you get it. You don't need to me. You don't need to explain everything to you. Uh, and this as well. I guess this is a, a very similar thing. Um, China's balloons give Japan Taiwan a reason to share intelligence, says a lawmaker. So that was appearing in Japan today as well. So it's going around. And um, as far as all those balloons are concerned, um, I think it's. Probably a good thing to consider that the amount of high-tech equipment that can be put into low-tech platforms um, should be considered uh, not just in the fact like, hey, it's a balloon like I saw in a hundred years ago movie and it blew up. So who cares? Um, we, we don't know what's going on inside with these, you know, these balloons can expand up to like, what, hundreds of feet across up in the stratosphere? Um, and I, 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 when I was uh, working at the telecommunications company, I was uh, help. I was teaching some of the um, uh, you know senior engineers there, just English, you know, whatever. They'd come in, but the company was acquiring the um, that Google invention, the high altitude platform system, HAPS, I think it's called. It is that giant solar panel wing that flies around in the stratosphere, um, just like a yeah, it's a it's a with propellers on the bottom, it flies around in a circle and it's supposed to beam internet down to earth. Well, this telecommunications company had purchased that and they were wondering about ways to keep things stable and because, you know, the wind blows it around and one of the ideas was to put uh, turbines or uh, turbines, uh, turbines inside of it, turbines, so that would the wind would pass through these turbines instead of blowing the um, wing around and then possibly what could happen is those turbines could create power which would then fuel some of the, um, uh, you know, uh, transmitters or something like that. They need power. So it looks very simple on its surface, but in fact what these wireless systems can do with just a little bit of power can do a whole lot. Uh, This is just an aside, but... These days, to create facial recognition um, cameras, to create, to install facial recognition cameras into houses and systems or um, in building infrastructure, you, they can run off of the energy in the um, lighting system. So you can just put a tiny little camera next to a light and it will be able to feed off that energy and uh, provide you with facial recognition services. So 
this whole idea of giant cables everywhere and and giant towers with cables everywhere still occur, but um, it's also important to consider what else is occurring in the ones and zeros being uh, AI'd around our heads everywhere. Um, A lot of people think about AI as like, chat GPT and it's going to replace all the all the, all the uh, ad writers or something like that. And that could be true. And I, most of them aren't even very useful in my opinion. Um, they can, they don't, they're not coming, they don't support me when I'm unemployed. <laughs> I don't get any emails from anybody else saying, hey, you lost your job as an employed person. I feel really bad for you. That never happens. So, you know, if it goes, if the shoe's on the other foot, well then I'll, I'll maybe we'll be wearing the same unemployed shoe sometime, but at the same time. The main thing to consider with AI is wireless automation um, and surveillance networks that will that don't need humans to um, authorize actions. Right? Uh, one fear about these types of systems is that, like um, I've brought it up before, but a dictator uh, who hates gay people gets a hold of a whole bunch of um, weaponized balloons and drones. Um, and he puts the facial recognition reader and somebody develops a gaydar, essentially, and it's only 80% effective. But this dictator doesn't care if 20% of the kills are, um, are straight people. He hates gay people so much that he's willing to implement this automated terror. Now he doesn't have to rely on a defectors. He doesn't have to rely on people like coming to terms with their consciousness. It's just some insane dictator unleashing um, wildly destructive AI weaponry upon a population. So... For me, that is far more worrying than some ad person saying, oh, I, I've lost my um, my income by 20% because I can't write cliches about podcasts anymore. It's a little different, folks. It's a little bit different. Tim Hirschner of Cincinnati loves his Honda Civic wagon because he can fill it up with everything he needs to fill up his hot air balloon. We're going into the weird corner. And this is connected to flying objects in the sky and Japan. Um, I was uh, scrolling on the old Twitters and I found um, a clip of a JAL pilot um, explaining his encounter with UFOs in the sky. Inclination and maybe about the... Oh, that's a little far. I also understand you had an incredible experience. Oh, let me set up this clip first, um, sorry. About a decade or so ago, uh, maybe. All right, so this comes to us from, on Twitter, Mike Colagillo, and I'm going to be sourcing this on the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. Make a donation now, uh, paypal.me forward slash JapanWUT, or use podcast 2.0 compliant apps to send me a boostagram or some sats. Thank you to what the schemes are behind the schemes podcast for boosting me a few times the past couple of weeks. I'll uh, mention it a little bit later. The context of this interview is pilot Chris Van Voorhees shares one of his UFO encounters while flying for Japan Airlines in 2005. Um, And there's a little bit of a preamble here with the interviewer. I'm just going to let it play a little bit. If you want to check out the whole thing, you'll find it at MatthewPMBigelow.com. Let's go. Two. Which one would you like to talk about first? Um, Well, let's start out with the earliest one, which was in 2005. Okay. And that's when I was flying for Jalways or, or Japan Airlines. 
And that was coming out of Fukuoka into Honolulu. And we were somewhere around just past the international dateline. And it was really early in the morning when there's just a small little sliver of light blue on the horizon. Mm. Um, flying with another captain and a flight engineer on the DC-10. So there's three cockpit crew members. And uh, all of a sudden I saw some type of glint out of the corner of my eye and looked up. It was probably at about 30 degrees uh, in inclination and maybe about the 10 o'clock position from our aircraft. And three large disks, and you know, I hate to sound cliche for that, but three large disks in a triangular formation actually came into the uh, atmosphere, glinting off the sun that was over the horizon. All right. Well, so you were looking up at it, thirty degrees, mm-hmm. and it was about ten degrees off your nose. Mm-hmm. You said, um, "Did we? T- how far did you say you thought it was? Were you yeah, able to yeah. estimate that at all?" You know, it was really difficult. It was far enough to have the sun glinting off of it that was still down over the horizon. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, uh, these things were huge. I mean, there was no way to to not say they were. And for anyone not to be able to see it, it was amazing to me because we had another aircraft in front of us. They saw it, um, we saw it, and we were talking with them. And it was such a short period. We only saw it for maybe 15 seconds. Um, and we asked them, are they going to tell anybody? And they're like, no, we're not going to say anything. Uh, are you? No, we're not going to say anything either. Um, Wait, who, with the FAA controllers are saying that or the other aircraft? No, this or? was out over the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Okay. So there's another Air Japan flight. And it was down in front of us, down below us. And um, they they had seen it as well. Okay, so they did actually. And there we go. So more UFO stuff. Just some pilots in the sky. See something off in the distance, it blows their minds, and they don't tell anyone. Huh. Weird corner. I want to believe. All right. I didn't think Japan was going down this road, and it's the road of bugs. And so I've had to get a jingle for it because I'm seeing it more and more. And um, I was hoping that uh, we wouldn't, but we are. I'm going to eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just going to eat them one at a time, though, okay? Okay. I got one. I got one. I'm going to go catch that one. No, finish the one that you have in your mouth first. All right. Don't ask me where I got that. It was TikTok. <laughs> I was trying to get Klaus Schwab saying, you read the bugs. And I could I could only find like a bad quality recordings. And then that one came up. It's like a, a spider walking around eating bugs with that weird music over it. Um, but that's the bugs now one. So um, we'll just begin how the bugs are getting into Japan. I, I don't know how this is happening. I don't know why this is happening but there's a a a cricket powder croissant now being sold in Japanese stores the Pasco as a brand company i got this from Masako Ganaha oh weirdly enough she is the one that the journalist that managed to interview uh, Klaus Schwab on the streets at the latest Davos event um uh, no, thank you. You are, you are independent journalist. Uh, no, thank you. Goodbye. We are very busy. And uh, that one. Um, excuse me. I have, 
<laughs> Sorry, Masako. Uh, so Major Bread Company, this is her tweet, company Pasco producing cricket bread since 2020. Cricket croissant now available online. Um, yet Japanese government putting restrictions on milk production and dairy farmers are at a loss. So recently we have the, the, the so-called bird flu coming through Japan, uh, sending stocks down and eggs price, egg prices up. Um, recently limitations on milk production have, have forced some uh, milk producers to dump 500 tons of milk up in Hokkaido and stuff like that. And so she's kind of saying, wow, we're putting all these limitations on, um, on things that people like, but we're, we're kind of forcing crickets down everybody's throats. And so, yeah, this one in, in Japan, I think it's kuro, koorogi powder. Koorogi, I think is the way you, we, they say cricket, um, here, uh, it's very strange, and I was wondering, like, why is this happening? So you see it once, and it's like, okay, uh, never mind. But then another person on another um, uh, feed posted a link to a NHK, which is the Nihon, you know, broadcasting. The, it, it's the CBC. It's the it's you know the the publicly funded. It's the BBC of Japan. Um, and they showed this um, school um, of kids um, making cricket powder pancakes. I'm just going to play the audio here. It's in Japanese. It was fun. So it has a whole bunch of kids holding up drawings of crickets, and it says... Um, in Japanese at the bottom, they're making um, pancakes out of cricket powder. And that's when they, the moment the kids scream is when they drop a bunch of green cricket powder into a pancake batter mix. Let's continue. <laughs> Just saying we're making pancakes out of pancake, uh, cricket powder. And then the little kid takes a bite and he gives a thumbs up, but he doesn't look like it's very good. It was very fun. So that's just, all the kids are wearing masks, by the way. So you have all these masked up kids eating, making cricket pancakes for the BBC of Japan, NHK. Well, they're reporting on it, I guess. That's weird. I, I, I'm like, I don't, I'm so against this. I am deeply against this. And it depends on where you are in the world. In, in Japan, most people don't care about global warming. I've polled a lot of Japanese people about this. Like, do you talk about it ever? They know about it. But it's like, well, do you talk about it? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, at the office, well, maybe there's like an, an advertisement or like a, a notice about it. Or we get an email or it's in the news. But I'm like, when you get together with your friends, do you talk about it? They're like, what? No, 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 no. But what they try to do in Japan is they, if it doesn't work on the um, environmental front, then you will see it acting on the economic front or you will see it acting on the cultural front. And this comes to us from Kyoto News even in 2019. And it's just kind of indicative of, there I said it right, indicative of um, the trend of people not eating bugs. It's like, why would you eat bugs if you could have a 
a, a roast chicken. It's like, let's just put a pile of roasted crickets in front of you and a giant roasted chicken with oregano and, 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 and lemon on top. It has a bunch of stuffing and, and there's a there's like a pile of bread beside it. And then next to that is a pile of, 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 of crickets with their legs poking up and wings that are kind of, you know, glittering in the sun. And you kind of go, which one do you want? Which one are you going to go for? Are you going to be like, well, I'm going to be um, environmentally friendly and eat, and eat the bugs. Nagano, Japan, from Kyoto News, even in 2019. Um this is like a community center in Japan is trying to preserve its dying tradition of catching and cooking local aquatic insects by encouraging younger people to learn the skills as catchers age. And it shows like these old men with dirty old nets standing in these shallow rivers in the cold trying to catch a whole bunch of aquatic bugs so they can eat them. And they're like, well, it's tradition. And then <laughs> a lot of people are like, mm, okay. And then they, they, some people get into it at first, but then they, they move on. Um, at the Tenyu River in late January, three fishermen demonstrated the traditional skills for catching the larvae at an event for students at a local agricultural high school. Shoji Nakamura, a veteran insect hunter of more than 50 years, rolled rocks in the river's shallow waters with his boots wrapped in a steel chain to keep his balance. A cheer erupted when the 78-year-old, using a net, disturbed the larvae, causing them to float to the surface of the water. <laughs> it's like, at its peak, there were 78 licensed fishers. You have to have a license. Licensed fishers in 1994. But the number has since declined, and only 10 people aged between 69 and 85 were left this season. Quote, there was a fisher in his 40s until recently, but a typhoon dispersed the insects, causing poor fishing for some time. So he stopped coming, said Toyo Hashihara, head of the Fishery Association. How much is this just like men finding the worst thing to do so that nobody else joins them as they just want to be alone for a while? It's like, are you going to go to that river and hang out? Yeah. Oh, that sounds like fun. I'm going to come with you. Oh, oh, um, I'm going to turn stones over in the shallow waters and collect larvae. What the fuck are you up to? I'm not joining you on that. Oh, okay. It's really fun. Wink, wink. Come anytime, honestly. But uh, how often are you going to actually go and do that? So even in 2019, they were lamenting the, the decline of, of the bugs. Um, it, it's, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very surprised that there's, there's enough of this going on. Um, but interestingly, and this comes to us from a very different perspective of um, culture and bugs and mourning the bugs. And I've worked on reports like this in the past of um, uh, some, it's, it, it's like all of the insects that get used for medical and, 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 and scientific purposes, they're sacrificed. So they're, they're memorialized. And this comes to us from Yahoo Japan. Um, from Oricon News. Oh, Oricon News has the SDG type of pin inside of it. So that's not cool. But this is from February 17th. There is a saying, and I use the Yahoo Translator device to just make it into English. Um, there you go, AI. There is a saying, even a one-inch bug has five minutes of soul. 
No matter how small or weak an insect, even a person has a life worthy of it. There is an analogy that should not be treated poorly, but there is an event that embodies this. That is Mushikuyo of Earth Chemical Co. Limited, which manufactures and sells pest control products such as insecticides and repellents. Oh, I must have read a different one or I worked on a different story where medical people would go to a shrine in some forest and, and pray for all of the bugs that they had to kill to advance their medical interests. Quote, insect memorial service, as the name suggests, this Mushi memorial service, Mushi is bug, this Mushi memorial service is a requiem for the insects that contribute to efficacy tests when developing insect care products. It is a full-fledged event in which the head priest's sutras are read and the employees burn incense while decorating with portraits of ticks. Cockroaches and fleas. We asked Mrs. Mikako Kawaguchi, the general manager of the company's research department, about the initiative. Quote, question, why do you hold the memorial service? I'll ask like the journalist is um, uh, indignant. Why do you hold a memorial service for insects when they need to be used in potency tests? Researchers were puzzled when they first participated. Too surreal, strict approach. I love translation that's bad. Too surreal, strict approach. It was about 40 years ago that the company began holding a memorial service for insects. On December 22nd of last year, a memorial service for insects was held at Myodoji Temple in Ako City, Hyogo Prefecture, and about 70 people, including those from the research department, attended. It has a long history, but what triggered it to be held? First of all, our company's management philosophy is to realize symbiosis with life and living and achieve symbiosis with the earth. I heard that it would be better to hold a memorial service so that employees can feel the importance of life. And it goes on and on and on. The reason I'm including it here is, to me, this makes sense. You need to, you need to murder the insects to further scientific truth, but you don't want to do it. You don't, uh, you don't go into work with a hard-on to, to, you know, kill a bunch of bugs and go home being like, fucking bugs, I fucked them up, got paid, bitch. Um, so... You know, it's like the, the the putting all your sins on the goat, and then you kill the goat or whatever it is. It's it's one of those things. It's like a primordial human um, interest, and even the the crazy science people working in the chemical laboratories who are supposed to be Mister and Mrs. Logical um, still go to a temple and pray uh, for all of the uh, bugs that they killed in uh, gratitude and repentance. So. When it comes to all these bugs being pushed into can pancake batter for masked kids in, in, in rural prefectures, I think what a dystopia. What a horrible, horrible thing to push onto children. I mean, I think they should be eating chicken steaks, running around with frisbees with no masks, and 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 having good math teachers. What is that crazy now? Are we supposed to just say no, those are the before times, and because of climate change, you now you have to have pancake batter, uh, cockroach pancakes with uh, masks on uh, because we love you. No, this is a way to hate children, um, and that's the way I see it. It hates children. I'm going to eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just going to eat them one at a time, though, okay? Okay. I've got one. I've got one. I'm going to go catch that one. No, finish the one that you have in your mouth first. <laughs> Why not head over to 
paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT and give us a little donation. Hmm? You can also go to podcasting 2.0 compliant apps, download the Fountain app, which is the one I'm using. There's plenty of them. And you can, through your Bitcoin wallet, send donations and funding straight to the podcasters of your choice. Uh, we've recently had a couple of come in, uh, Boostergrams from the Behind the Schemes guys, or one of the guys. I He said I can use his name. I, I'm just, I just keep it, I just keep it. I keep it all pretty quiet. I keep it all under wraps. Um, and this is because you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to make a mistake with people who are giving you money. <laughs> so um, it said, too, this is from, we got 10 days ago, we got a random boost of 49 sats or about 2 yen um, via the Fountain app. Thank you very much. The sender is um, in table, I guess. And then a couple, 11 days ago, we got 13,000 sats or about 500 yen from uh, Booberry. There we go. Uh, from, yeah, boo, boo, boosting in the nude via the Podverse app um, to us at Japan What Podcast. So thank you for the donations, whoever you are. Uh, Mr. 49 Sats is better than anything else, I guess. Uh, the reason I like it is that it just, without an intermediary in the way, it just sends it through the app. And then the user interface on these apps are great. I really recommend them. Uh, I get it now. Nudepodcastingapps.com. Uh, I get the reference now. Uh, Blueberry. I didn't before. I was like, "What? Are you on the? Are you on the shitter? Sending me some sats? I guess. Um, I guess the sats on the shitter is the next uh, name of the podcast. I guess. Thank you very much for your support. Moving on. All right, let's continue on with the show. This is kind of an interesting one. Um, if you've ever been to Japan from your, your home country, wherever that may be, we all know that the uh, service industry in Japan tends to go a little bit farther than most places. Tends to, you might have your issues, but I think overall, when you think, you know, you don't have to pay tax or tip, but even at the local diner, everyone's still usually polite as all hell and makes you feel, you know, almost bad sometimes for for, for how good they treat you. Um, I, I'm a big fan. I, I, I used to work in the service industry in Canada. Then I came to Japan and I was like, oh, these people actually know what they're doing and they're not just trying to be your friend. They know what they're doing. Let's begin. So this is again coming, this is coming to us from um, ja news.yahoo.co.jp. And I use the AI translator to help us out a little bit. And this is about the um, uh, surge in, in, in tourism now that COVID is kind of over. It's more difficult for Japanese people than for foreigners. How far does the real intention of accommodation facilities, quote-unquote, hospitality go? I kind of like these goofy translations. It's better than like, you might think it's eh, but actually it's eh. 
<laughs> like my jingle, is it or is it? Is it? Oh, is it? Is it or is it? Foreign tourists have returned to Japan. In the fall of 2022, border measures for the new coronavirus have been greatly relaxed, and inbound tourism is recovering rapidly. I can attest to this. I spend a lot of time in Shinjuku because that's where I live, and there are a lot of white people walking around, and you hear a lot of Asian um, languages too. My son is not impressed, not because the, he doesn't like people. He's just used to having the, the entire city to himself. Now he has to learn how to share the hotels and ryokans that welcome them appear to be busy responding to customers in multiple languages. However, when interviewing hotels and ryokan inns, many of the people involved said, quote, Japanese people are more difficult to deal with than foreigners, end quote. What? Why? In the background, there was a culture of, quote, customers are gods, created by unique Japanese hospitality. I followed the merits and demerits of hospitality. So this kind of goes into, um, yeah, how the kyakusama, even the kanji of kyakusama and customer are very different conceptually. Quote, there are services that I feel are too much, end quote, says Takashi Ito, a pseudonym, who is a manager at a hot spring inn in the snow country. The ryokan, I'm, I like saying it, ryokan, I think it's like, I think that's how Japanese The Ryokan, where Mr. Ito works, is popular for its free-flowing hot springs, dishes made with local ingredients, and warm hospitality. Warm hospitality in the snow country. The appearance of a Japanese the appearance with a Japanese taste is popular, and tourists from overseas, mainly from Asia, also visit. This is the hospitality service provided by the Ryokan. A free late-night meal service is delivered to the guest room. And if it snows, get this, the snow is removed from the guest's car, and the luggage is carried to the guest's car with an umbrella. See off the customer until the car leaves. That means they, they stay there until your car goes around the bend, then they go back inside. Mr. Ito, even in the heavy snow, Mr. Ito used to work at a foreign-affiliated hotel and said that he had never provided such a customer for a service. He was surprised by the meticulous service of the Ryokan, which treats its guests like family. Quote, the care for each and every customer is extremely deep, end quote. And then this is the next phrase. It is not the foreigners who are pleased with the hospitality, but the Japanese. Um, that's a mistake in the translation. However, the majority of Japanese people are pleased with this kind of hospitality, and foreigners are not necessarily deeply impressed. Oh, it is, I, I see what they mean. What they mean is Japanese people will accept this type of hospitality, but foreigners are like, this is a little much. Foreign customers are even skeptical, skeptical of excessive services. Ito has experience working abroad. Overseas, the relationship between customers and service providers was, in a good way, rather dry. Quote, It's like being able to serve customers on an equal footing. When I check in, I explain the rooms and facilities, and then it's like this. Of course, I treat foreigners in the same way. But after all, hospitality is taken for granted by Japanese customers, and they demand a lot more. So the reason why the Ryokans do so much is because of the demand. If you're shelling out the ass for services, they better provide it. 
Sometimes the excessive expectations of Japanese customers' uh, hospitality can lead to complaints. In order to write an apology letter when there was a, is a complaint, stationery is prepared at the office of Mr. Ito's Inn. Of course, there are times when the Ryokan side apologizes for their clumsiness, but when it comes to apologizing for cases where there was no negligence, such as, I missed, I missed the Shinkansen after checking out, he said, is this really the extent to which we should go? Um, so there we go. It's this weird thing where if you're, if you're, I, I've noticed this. So, okay, it's, it's snowing and you've just left the Ryokan. They've shoveled off all the snow on the car and they're helping you to the car. They're carrying your luggage and they have an umbrella over you and you're a Japanese person and you're just like, of course. And you get into your car and as they're standing in the snow and you drive away, you're like, you don't even look back in the mirror because you're like, of course they're there. Yeah, whatever, fine. <laughs> there's, no, there's no sense of, like, everything on the service side should be from the people providing the service. And the customer, because the customer is God, can do whatever they want with that service. They can be nice, they can be indifferent. It doesn't matter. The fact that the, the service has been provided is the thing that's important. What the customer decides to do with that service is up to them. And if they are indifferent or, or gracious or even rude, as long as the service has been provided, it's all good. But sometimes with the foreigners, they're like, what? Am I supposed to tip him? Does he want to suck my dick? What the fuck is going on here? I'm, why, why are they shoveling off the snow in my car? What, are they scraping the paint on my car? That will be kind of a, a differentiation between the uh, impacts on hospitality. And I, I, I've been there too. I've been on both sides of the coin now that I've been in Japan for so long when I first came here. And I was like, whoa, this guy's going to be my friend forever. Look what he's done for me. And you never see him again. And then other times you're, like, you're just like, I got to go. Okay, there's a lot of services. And maybe the services are taking so long that you missed your Shinkansen or something like that. Like they were so packed with services that I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. Maybe that's what the customer was complaining about. Anyways, I thought that was kind of a fun, is it too much or is it not too much? Is it? Oh, is it? All right, moving on to the next topic. We got a few more things to do before we uh, get out of here for the time being. Um, let's take a look. I got a oh, falling birth rate. I'm not sure if I want to cover that. Do we have anything else? Yeah, sure we do. Ah, this is, oh, I'll just go through a very quick blitz. I was going to do more on this, but we're not for today. Um Japan is reaching out because of its demographics, its shrinking demographics. And this is just an example of, of some of that. Vietnam IT companies join forces to secure more orders from Japan. Next, Kanagawa Prefecture holds business matching event in Thailand. Um, Japanese companies who in the you know 70s, 80s, and 90s were the, the biggest in, in, in Asia for the most part. They're now feeling the back end of that slide, the demographic slide, the lack of innovation slide. 
in the fact that um, a lot of the products they make in order to make money from them have to be focusing on outside of Japan now. So you have all these Japanese engineers developing products for overseas markets and things like that. It's leading to kind of um, a dry domestic market, to say the least. Uh, everybody knows it, but nobody knows what to do about it. I think even like the young 20 to 30-year-old IT workers, they're just like... I don't know, everybody's just playing free games on their phones and Japan's already a pretty convenient place. There is a lot of paperwork, but whenever we try to do anything about that, it just takes more paperwork. Um, so that's kind of interesting. It just This will be a quick one. Should we say... King of the Ring? Japanese shogi player suspended for three months for not covering nose with mask. Yes, it's that strict here. It's that strict. And we're supposed to be unmasking soon, but we shall see. Uh, most popular whiskey in the world is from Japan. Yes, they've been refining. And again, this is uh, that kind of thing that I was saying from before. All the uh, overseas uh, purchases, and now they make the best whiskey in the world. We're going to finish on this one. And this one has to do with the shrinking population idea, but... This also has to do with more of an interesting, um, it's not so much like, hey, there are fewer people around or what are we going to do with all these young people? We don't know what to do with them. I mean, what are, what are they going to do? Let's let's decide what we're going to do for the young people as boring adults who young people don't want to talk to. This is a little bit of a different take on that. Japan's witch houses, a sign of rapidly shrinking population. I didn't know it was this bad. Uh, when I was in... Um, in my wife's hometown visiting family over the New Year's, you really do notice in smaller towns, there's it's just quickly reclaiming, the earth is reclaiming these old places, and there's no going back. Even places near stations or, or near intersections, um, nothing, like old buildings, dilapidated buildings. But anyways, this comes to us from thetimes.co.uk and this is in the uh, Wayback Machine because uh, I'm not sure how, how else to find this article. If you've got an idea, send it to me. Uh, you stumble across them everywhere, in villages and cities, in the smartest neighborhoods, in the most run down. They lurk behind overgrown gardens, decaying beneath veils of moss and ivy. Crows and tanuki, oh, those are raccoon dogs, make their homes in them. Little children peer through their gates and imagine gahosts. They are the witch houses of Japan, mysterious tokens of social decay in one of the wealthiest societies in the world. Called Akia, or abandoned homes. Um, yeah, aki means empty, and ya means place or home. They have spread like mold in the past few years. This is where we get into some stats. Um, the last time the government made a count, five years ago, it found that 8.5 million homes standing empty nationwide, 13% uh, of the total. There are streets in which almost every house has been abandoned. There are three in the little cul-de-sac in which I live in western Tokyo, uh, cul-de-sac. The number doubled in a generation, according to a report by the Nomura Research Institute. That's one of the main ones of Japan. A third of Japanese homes will be uninhabited by 2038 unless they are knocked down. In the small towns and villages of the countryside, the phenomenon is easy to understand. Elderly people living ever longer, young people not giving birth to replacement children is that it's most acute. There are more communities in rural Japan where almost everyone is old. 
Their children have moved to the big cities, and the properties that they leave behind when they die have little value. It's true. Um, this is me talking here, Matthew, pmbigelow.com. Oh, uh, maybe you paid 35 years ago $500,000 for a house. Maybe you'll get $100,000 for it now. So you've had an ROI of negative a lot. Often, the cost of cost knocking down a decaying old home is more than the resale value of the land on which it stands. For the heirs, it is cheaper just to leave the old place untended than to deal with all the bother. But it is harder to fathom why witch houses have prolifer proliferated in Japan's richest cities. Setagai Ward in Tokyo contains the, some of the capital's most desirable neighborhoods, but it also has 50,000 abandoned houses, more than any municipality in Japan. Sometimes there is an obvious reason. The house is at the top of a steep slope, for example, or accessible only by narrow alleys difficult to drive a car down. But the problem also has its roots in histories and the curious character of the Japanese property market. I'm, I'm not going to read the rest of this. You can go find it. I'll, I'll link it up on the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. But yeah, why invest into something that loses its value uh, over time? It, it makes sense if it's a shirt or a bag or something like that. You know, a Rolex watch, of course, retains its value, but uh, I think the, one of the main things is that there's so many earthquakes in Japan. Like you move into a house that's 30 or 45 years old and there's been hundreds or even thousands of earthquakes. Maybe most of them are very minor, but, you know, yeah, maybe some of the angles get a little bit iffy. Even by a half a degree or a degree over time, it just makes you kind of think like, I'd rather just buy something new. Also, the amount of uh, innovation that's gone on in, 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 in the construction industry in the past 35, 40 years to make condominiums and, and what, have, what have you uh, much more livable than a lot of these old houses just makes people kind of say, well, why am I going to spend $500,000 to make land available for somebody who doesn't even want it when I could just take that money and, and live a happier and better life in one of these condominiums? And uh, boom, there you have it. That's it's very interesting. Um, I, a lot of these houses in my neighborhood are being knocked down right now, and I think we're going to see a giant push to uh, claim these these houses. One thing that I'm not so sure though is that so many of these corporations, like the Mitsui Corporation, sometimes they're really good at making nice things. They're very good. They're they're actually some of the best in the world that you'll ever ever see. But a lot of the times for these like mid-value places or low to mid-value places, they're not putting their A-team on the construction of these things. And I think they just try to, um, in, in corporate meetings, make plans that will try to eke out the most amount of profitable uh, you know, rent space based on the square footage of something rather than making a house or, or land where somebody wants to live. So it runs the risk of... Um, Knocking down a house nobody wants to live in and then building a property there of, of, of silly, tiny, uh, you know, uh, coffin apartments that nobody wants to live in. But it made sense on paper in the boardrooms of these uh, massive corporations filled with people that have no long-term uh, interests in uh, making the country a better place because they're just after their own uh, values at the same time. So they... they, they they impose a worse world based upon the anonymity of their actions in these giant corporations that, you know, invest in places and hope they get an ROI. But if they don't, well, I guess that's Shogunai, isn't it? 
You've been listening to the Japan Wai podcast. Where else do you get a podcast like this? Nowhere. Please donate at paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT or again, podcasting 2.0 compliant apps and get in on that boost. Give me some sats. I'm stacking sats for the future. And whether it's in the nude on the toilet or through your wallet as you're walking through town. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the Japan What Podcast. Until next time, we are with you. We are one. We are podcasters. Oh, I'm